Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care, and John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Heather and welcome to a much belated um, and technically difficult updating show with me, Ben Poland, and my co-host will be Adam Spence. How you doing there, Spence? You okay? Yes, thank you, Brent. Oh, crikey, what a stressful start to the show. Uh, <laughs> and you're, <laughs> remind me, what, do you, what is it that you actually teach? <laughs> well, actually, I haven't taught uh, ICT for a while, um, but I do, I do have a, a finger still in the uh, iMedia uh, pot at the minutes for the last time uh, this year uh, but you know that's that's live tv isn't it that's uh, live not live tv god can you imagine just doing that it'd be even worse wouldn't it um, oh, live radio, radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, live, live, live radio oh, we got so, how, how's your week been brand i still haven't planned at 423s yet but i have a grand plan which i'll talk i'll talk later about so yeah busy week is always um a bit more data to put in uh lots of uh, mock exams for the year 11s and god re- god bless them they were in oh, you know it's like when you give kids mock exams for the first time they're always rabbits and headlights and and sort of some can cope and then some come out you know completely sort of uh stunned by it and and it's it's a, it's a hard thing sometimes the mock exams i think are worse than the real exams um, so it's a hard thing to pick them back up off the canvas and sort of get them back on the horse again. So that was a tough week for our year 11s. Um, but yeah, same old week in education, pleased to a certain extent about the budget. So we'll, we'll have a chat about that in a minute. You know, the, um, it was, it, it was interesting. I think it was flattering to deceive. I think, um, it, just enough to get the wolves off our back, um, in as regards school funding, but not spectacular. But again, the headlines were a bit of spin on, oh, education's a big winner out of this. And when you kind of go through the minutiae of the details, you can see that the political side of this is different from the actual reality on the ground. So we'll, we'll sort of have a little dissection of it because I think there are winners and losers in it. And, and I think there's a definite narrative. But equally, it's a lot better than than hoped. Maybe they did a job of of lowering expectations so to generally then sort of give us a little bit of a a breath of sort of relief because I, I felt a little bit of relief when I, when I saw the headline figures and I thought okay education is not going to be cut in real terms there is cuts but in comparison to others I think we've, we, we're we okay but is okay good enough and this is the thing isn't it it's, it's just surviving and doing okay actually good enough when we're dealing with the futures of our children and I haven't felt that okay and surviving has been good enough for a long time in education so I think the ambitious um, ambition level is different for me and to the current people in charge of the country because I think their ambition for the children might be different from my ambition to the children and maybe the children's ambitions for themselves. And I don't think there's a definite matchup with um, the, the type of funding and where the funding's going to actually where the children's getting the money. So what about yourself? How was your week? Yeah, it's been good. I, th- I think kind of, um, you know, mock, mock exam marking, I think probably is on a lot of people's radar at the minute. Um, getting getting kind of data in kind of early, and again we're seeing those gaps. I think that's the big thing that everyone can everyone can pick up on, is those gaps that from COVID are starting to really show in the data, as we as we're marking, and that's really interesting thinking about the budget. You know, does that two point three billion get anywhere near to covering any of those kind of COVID gaps or um, gaps in kids' education? Um, I, I just don't think it comes anywhere near really. Um, I think it covers the the costs of inflation, energy, and those types of things. But I don't think really um, it covers any of the um, gaps that need to be filled over the next couple of next couple of years, which are going to be huge and they're going to continue to grow. Um, you know, and that, that's my worry about the two point three billion. Yes, there is some new money there, but it's nowhere near enough that's to, 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 to cover those huge huge um, literacy gaps that we see in education particularly and they're only going to you know get worse as 
those younger children who were maybe born during COVID. Yeah. In, in reception during COVID and in early years education. Um, and as they kind of come through the system, um, you know, those those gaps are going to have to be uh, rectified. Um, but what was pleasing, I mean, it was, it was pleasing actually hearing the Chancellor uh, really talk up education, um, e even if even if the money itself is not enough. It was nice to see an actual, in, in a statement, a good recognition of education and maybe potentially a, a plan for the future. You know, he's talking about, you know, the skills for the future much more. And I don't think I've ever listened to an autumn statement where there was a good, um, you know, couple of sentences uh, looking at kind of strategic or planning for education in terms of the skill set required for the future economy. Um, so that, that was interesting. And it's, it, it brings hope that, you know, education at the number 10 and number 11 is on the table. Um, because I think probably from COVID, maybe just before COVID to now, we've had so many different uh, diff uh, education secretaries. You're being very kind. You're being very kind. There's nobody to have that kind of strategic overview um, of, of what's going through. So, again, Well, the interesting thing to pick up on that is further education and colleges were absolutely livid. Um, especially colleges. He only mentioned the word college once. Yeah. And and you sort of think about the skills gap we have at the moment. And you think of the Govian agenda, the whole idea of, you know, essays and baccalaureates and shoving kids into academic, academic subjects. That's monumentally failed now because we have a skills shortage. And, and yet, you know, we have society saying we don't want to take migrants over from foreign countries, but those people probably have skills that our students don't have. And it's a horrible thing, isn't it? And you get people saying, let's train up our own, let's train up our own. Well, actually, we've not trained up our own. The vocational sector hasn't had the funding. The higher education sector, the college sector hasn't had the funding. Now, universities cry foul, don't they? They say, oh, we've not had funding this. They're asset rich. They are really asset rich. Yeah. But if you look at universities, university lecturers, they haven't had the funding. So you, you've got money's there at some places, but it's not in other places. And and there's a disconnect between, it's funny you say about policy. I don't think they have a long-term strategic policy when it comes to education. No, I think if you take a child, no. no, but I think if you take a child from four years old to 18, their whole life is one big educational experiment. Yeah. And if you take countries like Estonia, you look at the PISA league tables, I think Britain is just it's all over the shop when it comes to education. I've been teaching 18 years in, in, in England and I've used to make comparisons with, say, for instance, the Northern Irish education system. I could go back to my old school and there wouldn't be that many differences. Same similar, some teachers, more in the community. There's a consistency in places like that. When England, the postcode lottery, it, it, the education system needs, I think, a whole root and branch and a whole deep discussion about what is the purpose and function of education in the UK. And it's funny picking up a couple of the, the sort of the conversations the last couple of days in education, the private versus public education has been reignited. And I know that that conversation is going to come up on Tuesday night with Lucy after the Etonians sort of um, misogynistic comments towards some of the state schools. And definitely you can see there is some favoritism towards certain schools. There was a bit of a scandal over VAT, VAT and, and whether, you know, the, more children will, their parents will want to send them to uh, the private school. And I always, there's one thing that always annoys me about that argument is like, oh, the teachers are better in in, in, in private schools. And I'm like, That's, what are you trying to say? That I'm second class. And that really grates on me because it makes me feel like a second class teacher teaching in a second class part of the country. And when I look at regional funding, I'm tired of feeling like that. I'm tired of trying to, ironically, level up you know what I mean? Override, you know, poverty, override social settings, override the industrialization of, of, of places like the Midlands and override sometimes the children's own perceptions of themselves in a Carol Dweck kind of way. But yet half of the government not back me up with top class facilities, you know, what I mean, you know, with, with the funding that's needed and yet money's been thrown at parts of education. You're leveling, leveling up Zara's got a great school, you know, the Michaela College. Fantastic. It's brilliant. Well done to her. But could that be done in Durham? Could that be done in East Midlands? Could that be done in, in Merseyside? Can that be done around the whole country? But that's the problem. If you have to do that around the whole country, you're going to need to have honest funding around the whole country where it's needed and targeted. 
And the gap just keeps getting bigger. It really does just keep it. The statistics keep showing that. The gaps keep getting bigger. And it's almost, I worry that this government's going to use education almost in a blurite type of way of, you know, the way he used education, 50% goes to university. That's this sort of targeting of middle class voters. Um, as opposed to education being an altruistic thing of we want every child to be educated. I have the cynicism now that they're only going to make policies that seem to be vote winners. So is that, what do you think? Do you think that's true or am I just being an old cynic? Well, well, well as, as I said, let, let's, let's, let's give him his dues. I mean, so he's only been in post, you know, as, as we said, we've had so many different... Um, ministers in so many different positions over the last uh, just six weeks almost haven't we it's, it's very difficult and um, you know there's a question mark over Gavin Williamson's performance when he was um, education secretary at the time uh, but I mean it's it, the, the, this is, the difference is is that now is that we do need to have some kind of uh, growth agenda and that growth has got to come from the skill set of the school leavers and so they do they they've kind of backed themselves in a corner with this where they do need to now look at education and actually think it's not good enough for students to leave school without a modern skill set that is actually going to have a direct impact on the um, growth of the UK economy so now those two things are more more interlinked um, I think they will really look at a strategic pathway for students and uh, really kind of consider it. Because if you think really, there hasn't been that much difference. Anyway, my daughter just started secondary school and I don't think there's that much difference between what she's doing and what I did. Um, you know, I left school in 1997. You know, we're in a completely different environment, completely different world. And, uh, well, I think the levels, if you look at assessment, that's different. You know what I mean? GCSEs, no coursework. Uh, I, th- I mean, no coursework in some subjects is absolutely that's criminal. Just, you know? That's just fiddling with the methodology, isn't it? But the actual the actual content and the actual kind of what they're doing, you know, mm. is, is, is almost exactly the same. You know I mean, it's almost identical. You know, there's a, there's a tweak here and there's a kind of, there's a development of coursework in this one and exams in this one. But 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 the core of it, you know, the actual kind of what a child leaves education is, I don't think has changed in, you know, in a couple of generations really. Um, you know, I mean, we are we are children. I mean, when when did the when did the national curriculum start? Nineteen ninety. No. Early late eighties, early nineties, wasn't it? There was there was, there was a definite standardisation then. But that's the thing. I didn't have a national curriculum when I was a child. My primary school is where where I was where where I was made. And that primary school, of course, I had the 11 plus at the end of it. And I, I failed my 11 plus because my primary school was set up to educate me in life, learning and the love of learning. And I had my child's parents evening recently, and you know, a seven-year-old. And all they wanted to tell me how well she would be prepared to pass a test. And I'm thinking, where's the life skills? Where's the broader? Where, I want her happiness, her well-being. I want her enjoying learning. At my four-year-old, I had a cracking daddy moment. It was like something out of um, Bluey. I had a cracking daddy moment this morning when my daughter says, can I, can I read this book to you? Four years old. And she came to me. And she's only in school a couple of weeks. And, 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 and she came to me and she's like, daddy, can I read this to you? And she was forming the sounds. And she was forming the sounds that she'd learned at school. And there and then I thought to myself, thank you, primary school. You guys are amazing. And she could read. So my daughter this morning, for the first time, had witnessed her actually reading independently. And it was priceless. It was absolutely priceless. She read it three times. And I recorded it for posterity and sent it to her grandmother. But then this is the thing I realized. Is that, you know, when I, I got a really cracking primary school education, and there wasn't as much funding in a sense, but it was about the cultural capital. I was going to go to university. I was working class. My parents had drive, had motivation, but they could have sent me to a good school with it within a 20 mile radius. There was good schools everywhere. And yet I grew up in a working class area in the middle of the troubles. And yet our local schools were well funded, better funded and better organized than what I've been teaching in England in the last 20 years. And that's not, that's not being having a go. That's just the difference of, of society. I come from a society that values education and people strive and work hard. And we have a brain drain because of it, you know, and that's why I'm here. 
But I see the same thing being replicated. The difference is I just don't see that education gets, I think, enough credit. I think too much criticism of teachers. I don't think the value of education is thought of as highly as it should be. And all it is, is people want results. I don't think they want the value of it. And if you take adult education, they have cut lifelong learning, funding for lifelong learning. And adult education, I think that's an absolute criminal thing because people should be learning all the way through their lives, evolving, you know, changing into careers. And I think the government should be encouraging that. And again, it's very short-sighted because if you, we had a shortage of truck drivers recently, didn't we, with those were scandals last year about not having skills there and not having skills there. And that, and we, we have massive, you know, that was causing supply chain problems because we hadn't trained enough certain people. And you think, well, how can we train enough people when there's no incentive for people to be retrained because there's no training colleges out there who've got enough funding. So I think that the whole thing needs a really good look at, and it's not just about throwing money at it, it's about what education does for society and it's about valuing it. And lastly, it's about the fact that the statement never mentioned nothing about the teacher's pay and about college pay and about any of the pay whatsoever. So they completely sidestep the obvious white elephant is, what are they going to do about retention? What are they going to, they completely ignored any of those demands about retention and teacher numbers, TA numbers. So they had a little figure of, they got a couple of billion in there, oh, education spending's increasing slightly, but that was it really. There was, it was a, and then people move on and they can then say at the dispatch box, oh yes, we haven't cut education funding. But for me, it's a sticking plaster over a gaping wound. <laughs> really, it's that's all it is. It's a temporary quick fix on top of temporary quick fixes. How many sticking plasters do you have to put over the gaping wound before the blood just keeps gushing out? And that's what I feel we're at with education at the moment. There's a, it's a patch-up job and really it needs a, a bit more vision and a more strategic overview of actually an honest conversation with society. Um, because you look at 11% money, 11% of that budget, 11% increase in pensions. There was eleven percent increase in pensions, and you sort of say to yourself, why, 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 why is that? Why is that above and beyond? And a lot of uh, people who are working parents feel as if they've been lost out on that budget. And you, put, you, you say that they are parents of young people who themselves have just gone through the likes of university. They're being squeezed, and they're putting their children through schools. And a lot of these parents now are having to contribute towards their schools as well. So I think there's a definite squeeze and a definite cynicism where they're putting the money in order to to play a game. And I think it's, education should be above that. So that's my thoughts on that. If you want to pick up anything out of them, or are you okay with that? Yeah, so it's, it's that kind of how you're held up in high esteem. I mean, because at, at home, like the teacher is a person of, and it still is, don't get me wrong, it still is, you know, in England, but there's something more about it. There's more prestige. There's more education is... It's almost like I have, I was given a kind of um, the immigrant mentality that you have towards education, um, a kind of overriding the, the 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 cultural situation and it's that cultural capital. So, you know, reading, my mother would always be pushing and pushing and pushing and, and yet they're very pretty much straightforward working class people. Dad's a plasterer and mum's a housewife. But me and my two brothers were going to university. That was non-negotiable. That is, and I have 24 cousins and I have 24 cousins, 22 out of 24 went to university from that background because it was not just expected of us, it was competition. We had to fight. We had to almost instill an attitude. And it's literally, it's pure Carol Dweckism. And that's when I first read Carol Dweck, it just absolutely nailed that. That education and philosophy nailed it. And I've always tried to replicate that in areas where I've taught. The problem is I kind of feel as if I'm, ice skating uphill sometimes because you know you're you're in isolation a teacher trying to drive these children but you're working with one hand tied behind your back because you look at the classrooms and i've i've done british british schools internationally i've I've done the connecting classrooms with the british british council about 10 years ago and i like to dubai uae and they were apologizing for their school building, which was 15 years old. And I was like showing them ours and going like, sorry about this. This is 60 years old. It's got asbestos in the ceiling. And it's got more leaks than the Titanic. And you think, this is Britain. This is one of the most powerful countries in the world. And, you know, and we've got education facilities that, and it was flipped because they expected us to be so advanced and everything. And we are in many ways, but it's just feel a managed decline is how I would sum it up. There's just a feeling of just, it'll do, it's good enough. It'll do, it's good enough. And a lack of drive and motivation, and I don't, and and I don't always agree with Catherine about Basabinga, but I do like that drive that she has, and I think she's she's got a point. 
that we need people with that kind of drive to push. And Adam alluded to that, that drive to push education way back up the agenda that the future generation need to be kept. Because I think I'll be honest with you, we're going to lose a lot of our brightest and best because they just go to, to, they'll do what you've done yourself, ironically, you know, they'll go off and go off to other countries because they'll get fed up with it and they'll fill it up with the taxes. They'll get fed up with the, the moaning. They'll just get fed up with the fact that they don't get valued. And I think they'll leave. I think they'll just, they'll take their skills. Yeah. Yeah. Is Adam still there? Adam, are you there? Adam, I'm just suggesting that you exit and then re-enter for me and then recall in. That would be a good idea if you can't hear us. And if... In the in the meantime, I think it's a good uh, good time to uh, to do yeah. our, our news and our sponsors and then we'll, we'll have a quick chat when we come back about, about England if you want to join in on that one, Tom. Happy days. <laughs> This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With the World Cup due to begin, TES magazine reveals why some schools won't be screening games during school time. The competition held in Qatar is the subject of much concern from some school leaders worried about the ethics of showing games held in a country with a poor record when it comes to human rights. England play one game against Iran during school hours, but whilst many school leaders have chosen to show significant games in the past, some are choosing not to do so this time. FIFA's choice to host the tournament in Qatar has been controversial from the outset because of the country's laws on homosexuality and its treatment of migrant workers. Some heads have said that showing the game would be at odds with lessons on diversity and equality. Not all leaders share the same view and some schools will show the game but will have what is described as age-appropriate discussions about the ethics of the tournament alongside. Decisions of this nature are always left to individual school leaders and, as debate about the tournament continues, the only real certainty is that this World Cup will be remembered for its controversial hosts, if nothing else. The last week has seen many schools participate in activities to mark Anti-Bullying Week. To further acknowledge the impact bullying can have on young people and their families, the Government's Education Hub has published an article laying out what they're doing to help combat bullying in education. This support has largely been in the form of government grants to fund projects and organisations who do important anti-bullying work. This has included further funding for the Diana Award, a recognised anti-bullying programme, the Anti-Bullying Alliance, a new programme to prevent and tackle bullying through quality RSHE education, the Anne Frank Trust to continue the different but the same project, diversity role models, developing intervention materials for schools and equality to support multi-academy trusts or local authorities to create change. Full details of all the projects and the funding can be found on the .gov UK website, as well as in the Preventing and Tackling Bullying Guidance. The Scottish Government will launch an online national discussion on Scottish education the week beginning the 21st of November. Children, young people, parents, carers and teachers are being encouraged to take part by registering for events. Those who register will be able to talk directly to the independent facilitators, Professor Alma Harris and Professor Carol Campbell. 
The discussion was first launched in September, but in order to ensure as full a discussion as possible, the online events have also been launched. So far, the discussion has received 3,500 responses and feedback will be open until the 5th of December. The Schools and Academy Show 2022 saw the Chair of Ofqual, Ian Buckham, discuss plans for exams and grading for 2023, as well as considering the future of exams, assessment and the use of technology. In his speech, he made it clear that exams and other formal assessments that are like exams give students the fairest chance to show what they know and what they can do. He cited feedback from students, parents and teachers, which he said was overwhelmingly positive, particularly about the return to normal exams in 2022 after the difficulties of the pandemic. Whilst exams in 2023 will see a return to pre-pandemic grading, safeguards will be put in place to ensure no pupil is disadvantaged. This will be the same as those put in place for the 2017 series when pupils sat the reformed GCSE and A-level qualifications for the first time. He went on to speak about the impact of digital tech and described it as when, not if, there would be a greater use of it in high-stakes exams. He did, however, acknowledge that a move to greater digital assessment can only come about through joint working across a range of partners and stakeholders, so as not to experiment with young people's futures. A full transcript of the speech can be found on the DfE website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at smartwatches. For those of you that don't know what a smartwatch is, it's basically a watch that has the ability to connect to your phone, enhancing the experience of the owner's smartphone by delivering notifications and controls via an interface, which shows more discreetly and allows the user to decide whether they need to get their phone out or not. This is a real bonus for teachers, as a lot of schools have no phones policies, making it difficult to be contacted during the day. Some smartwatches also can stand alone without the need for a short-range phone connection as they've got built-in cellular or Wi-Fi capability, extending the range of connection, allowing the phone to be left at home. Although this can be useful, you need to bear in mind that there are additional costs for this and answering calls makes you look like you're on an episode of Star Trek talking to your wrist unless you have headphones and replying to texts can be tricky using the watch interface. That being said, one of the most powerful features of smartwatches is the ability to use contactless payment with them real time saver and also peace of mind. A downside of contactless payment using smart devices is some payment machines, in particular parking meters, only accept cards. This needs to be kept in mind when traveling around. So what is the best? Well, that depends on the phone you currently have. It isn't really about the best, it's about compatibility. If you want an Apple Watch, you need to have an Apple phone. Android allows more options and also can be considerably cheaper. You need to ask yourself a few questions to decide what's best for you. Here are the questions I'd ask when considering a smartwatch. What do I want it for? If it's to see notifications from my phone, could an activity tracker be what I'm after? Compatible with all mobile phone platforms, there is a reduced control interface, but for around £50, alongside tracking your activity, you can see notifications without the need to get your phone out. What is the battery life like? Will it last until you get home to charge it? What's the display like? Will you be able to see it at a glance? What if you get messaged while points are at a pupil's work? Will they see it? Can notifications be adjusted so you are not accidentally sharing? Is it noisy? Can you silence it? Can you switch it to vibrate? And finally, some phone contracts allow you to add on extra devices. Will it be cheaper to do it that way or to buy it outright? As always, I'd love to hear your favourite teaching tech. Do you wear a smartwatch? Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So that's quite a, quite interesting, the, the Two Minute Tech. Uh, um, we've, we're going to have to get a policy about the old smartwatches because we have children now potentially recording teachers in their smartwatch. So that's a little bit of a, a gray area, isn't it, of um, teachers being recorded in lessons without their awareness. And I had a student said to me, he's like, sir, can I record your lesson on their smartwatch? And I, was, I want to play it back because they enjoyed my lessons and, they're, and they're, um, they're a student that would ironically want to just because they enjoy the lessons rather than there was something cynical. But they've been, you know, that made me think we probably need to think about this in the future. And I know that 
um, comes to exam season that smartwatches have to be uh, handed over at the start of exam. So sign of the times, isn't it? It's not a mobile phone any longer. It's a smartwatch. But uh, another news story I wanted to pick up on was um, yesterday was Gianni Infantani, um, the Italian um, leader of FIFA, who lives in, in obviously the Middle East. And he came out with a really um, interesting one hour monologue rant stroke defense of Qatar and the World Cup. And I think his general point was was understood, but he kind of lost the room a little bit with some of his comments about hypocrisy and about Europe, you know, for 3000 years of what they've done and should we apologize for 3000 more. It's an interesting, it's, it falls into the, the kind of current context of the, the discussion that people are having about history, which I know the likes of Tom and myself, we, we're in the middle of that, being educators of history. But what was interesting about it was I did pick up a couple of threads, um, especially for education. Um, we, had a, we had a really good debate last night on Teachers Talk Radio about um, should the children be able to watch the match, which was one of our news stories there. And, and my take is, I mean, as, as an Irishman, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think the children should watch the, the match. Um, it's a fine line between patriotism and nationalism. But supporting your country in, in a World Cup, it, it should be something that everybody should get behind. And I know that I'm speaking to Adam about it, that some of my favourite childhood memories was Italian 90. And Italian 90 was absolutely fantastic. And um, Jack Charlton, as a, as a Republic of Ireland supporter, um, Jack Charlton was just like God, the Jack Charlton team of 1990. I can remember David O'Leary scoring that penalty, Packy Bonner jumping up and down. But then again, a lot of my friends, you know, who are England supporters, tell me that they remember fondly, you know, Gaza's tears, you know, Lineker scoring the goals, England getting to the semi finals, you know. <laughs> In the same way that a lot of my friends who are England supporters would have remembered the hand of God and also the, the dribble by Maradona. You know, these are memory makers. They, they, these are, I think, very important to a generation of young people coming through about identity. So I get why some people would not want to celebrate the World Cup because of the issues with Qatar. And, and I think there's a lot of teaching around that and around, you know, what we have with as regards slave labour and the issues about how we deal with you know colonial colonialism and decolonization within curriculum but i don't think it does any harm in my opinion and some might disagree to and this is going to be very ironic coming from an irishman say it but i actually think the children should be allowed to watch their, their national team i think if, if this was other countries and if this is sweden or denmark or other countries, I don't think there would be the same issue. I don't know why, but it, it seems to be a bit loaded. I, I don't see any um, thing reason why. Adam, what do you think yourself? I mean, would you agree with those memories or would you disagree? Or are you going to agree with an Irishman that you should be supporting England? <laughs> well, uh, you know, who, who, who can't agree with you, Brentford? So I just think that um, just finished watching the, the Channel 4 documentary on the World Cup Italia 90. And although it comes from a kind of uh, cultural perspective in terms of hooliganism, um, it also has those great memories for me of the of the, the group stages going into Italia 90 and particularly the, the cultural significance of how football moved into the um, more public consciousness when Gaza's uh, tears. And it was interesting um, one of the commentators was saying on that program how those tears actually brought uh, emotion into the game and actually moved it from actually a very you know one-sided male uh, masculine sport into a more um, empathetical um, emotional state and I thought that was really interesting from a sociological point of view um, but yeah absolutely I mean 1990 was my first World Cup memory and, um, you know, and, and it's the World Cup that kind of stays with you, I think, you first. Um, so I think those students who are watching it in year seven tomorrow, you know, if their school is uh, lucky enough to kind of show it, um, I think you'll have a kind of quite a really big impact on you. But you've also made comments there about the, the wider um, educational benefits of the World Cup, you know, highlighting these uh, key areas um, that, you know, there are still issues in certain countries around LBGT, you know, mm. um, slave labour, 
and those things still 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 happen and it's worth just kind of bringing them up and i think there's hopefully someone can put together a really good phsre lesson on this or mm. citizenship lesson on this because i think that's what's what these things have already always done to me and i was uh, me and my daughter were getting putting our wall chart up last night and just that kind of conversation about where places are in the world and uh, you know and she was saying kind of where's croatia and this type of thing and then we mm. before we know it, we're having a conversation about uh, yugoslavia we're talking about those balkan wars we're talking about yeah. uh, czechoslovakia and uh, those um, you know that them getting the, you know the, the split between uh, Czech, Czech republic and slovenia yeah and those types of things do you kind of I think um, I know I have. I've I've kind of taken it for granted that these things are in the public sphere and consciousness, and actually they're not. They kind of we would just forget about them, and you know, news cycles move on so quickly mm. that we just forget to kind of re-engage with them. Um, but they they were particularly kind of you know the Balkans war, um, you know, and those types of things were kind of a really big thing in my you know early life. Um, as a kind of you know when I when I was in school these were things we talked about in the playground all the time and there were, there were genuine concerns about you know these kind of you know barbaric wars that were happening at the time yeah and you know you know See, it's and, interesting and, uh, that because one of the things that people never I never picked up until recently was the significance of West Germany 1990 that's right yeah yeah you know what I mean that's well, well my wife, wife said that straight away it's it kind of it still takes you by surprise when it says England you know uh, England West Germany goes yeah. penalties and it kind of it really does kind of jolt you in back into that kind of world of oh yeah West Germany or um, CCCP kind of, on the jersey yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those, 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 those kind of favor so I think I think the World Cup does that so yeah you know my, my opinion is is that schools should embrace the World Cup um, because there's so many cross-curricular uh, links that can come out of it if, it if it's done really well if it's just all just sat in the hall you know just watching a game you know that there's obviously a kind of an entertainment point to that but yeah. I think kind of if it leads on to some assemblies during the World Cup leads on some good phsre lessons uh leads on to good communications during sorry good kind of conversations and debates during form time yeah you know, i mean you know it's like pupils are in their element when they're yeah. given a good a good topic and um, you know and it's and it comes the conversation we just had it last night actually when i was discussing some of these teams is you know some, there's some parts of the countries that just some countries of the world that just aren't re represented very well with the World Cup. No, you know? and uh, you know you look at you look at the teams that are in it. They're largely again kind of, um, you know, um, I guess kind of whites of of some description. You know I mean, of of, of yeah. some. They're the powerful the, nations, aren't they? The powerful I mean, nations. Yeah. yeah. The, the, yeah. There's there's very few of those kind of. Uh, well, Asia, for example, I mean, you think about in terms of population, you know, India, China. Not really there, that, are they? Not really there, but they, no. they will, the, but that's the most, if you're thinking about having a competition that brings the world together, you know, it's sad that a lot of the world's population aren't represented. But that's the Somehow. Olympics for that, though. I mean, that, something about football and nationalism that always irks me a little bit. Um, and again, it's like your Swedes, your your Swedes, your Danish, those Scandinavian countries, your Iceland's, all the rest of it. Their fans go there, and and hopefully there doesn't seem to be that vibe this time. But it's funny when the when, when the nations that are hosting it are like your Russias or your Frances or your Germanys that have got this sort of deep historical power significance, this old empire that does seem to be more trouble. It'd be interesting to see if Qatar being almost like a completely neutral country. Um, and, and obviously the, the debate about alcohol and everything else that might be a different type of tournament. But the sociologist in me is, is quite fascinated about that almost I've never known in 20 years I've lived in England a tournament with such, not low expectations, but it's, is it the time of year? Is it is it uh, overloaded? Is it the, the lack of identification with the team? There doesn't seem to be the same vibe or the same kind of, I don't see the white, white and red flags out. I don't see the, the England song out. I don't see the I don't see the cultural significance in the same way that 
you know, John Barnes was doing his thing with New Order, or, or is it me just looking for something with rose-tinted glasses and nostalgia looking back? I don't get the vibe that the country's behind the team. Is it because yeah. of the economic problems? Is it because... And even the other day, when I, I turned around to the children and said, you know, do you, do you want to watch the England match? And I, they sort of just looked at me quite sort of like, not bothered half of the kids. And, and they were sort of... And a lot of them were happy, probably, to get a bit of time off doing lessons. And and, and I, I drilled into that and I asked some children, honestly, and I says, do you just want time out of your lessons or do you genuinely want to watch the match? And there was two, there was thirds. There was a third who genuinely wanted to watch the match. There was a third who were like, yeah, okay, it's a, it's a couple, of, couple of hours off lessons. I'll have that. And there was another third who were like, it's the last thing in the world I'd want to do. I'd rather want to do something at school. I'm here to learn. Or, as I give them the option, they're going to be going out with me and planting some trees. Yeah, that's good. You know, I mean, because... I think in terms, of, in terms of promotion, I think kind of the, the general idea is the criticism, not, not to turn this into a kind of football podcast uh, for, for, for five minutes, but I think uh, part of the reason is that Gareth Southgate has made a deliberate play to lower, you know, expectation, lower the kind of media frenzy that goes around the team. I think in the past, particularly the England team, has had all this hype around it. You think about the World Cups with Capello and Sven-Goran Eriksson. It became a complete circus um, and the players weren't able to concentrate at all. Um, so I think he's doing a lot of that kind of protection. Um, but unfortunately, that, what that means is then there isn't any kind of you know, fanfare building up to the building up to the World Cup. Um, I think also we're just not used to having a World Cup at this time of year, are we? Yeah. we kind of, it feels like it's a, it's a beer garden type thing, isn't it? I did listen to one podcast I thought was quite funny where they said uh, what's going to happen in um, fans' parks when England score. There'll be like third-degree burns. Everyone, <laughs> everyone throws up the mulled wine rather than the, uh, the, 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 the carling. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I think well, can you imagine be... being covered, covered in eggnog? <laughs> but it is. As, you as, know, the goal, as the goal is going. But there was another aspect of it to me was the, and it goes back to the comments made by the, the FIFA president about the money and, and, and the type of World Cup they wanted. And I was looking and I couldn't believe this. This is true. An England World Cup jersey, the official World Cup jersey for the World Cup with all, all the little bits of stuff on it for the World Cup, retailing at the moment for, get this, £114.99. Nice. <laughs> Now a normal a normal a normal bog standard England home jersey, very similar to the World Cup jersey, that's seventy five pounds, fifty four pounds yeah. for a child, and the cost of the living crisis. Now don't get me wrong, they're doing a nice plug for it's made from recyclable materials. Great, but it's hardly accessible for children in a cost of living crisis. That your England jersey, let's be honest with you, you could paint a white t shirt with a couple of blue highlighters on it. If you pretty much got the you could paint the Elman onto a white shirt and you pretty much it's a pretty basic and it's a nice jersey because of that. But England jerseys it's one of those eternal jerseys that doesn't have to change too much because it is, you know, it shouldn't be changed too much. I think I'm a big fan of of your your football jerseys being especially if it's like an Ireland jersey, you should always be green and none of them messing around with the green. You want a nice solid green and maybe a little white or a little something else in there. But, you know, that's the same with England jerseys. So they shouldn't really be having to pay £75 as an adult and £114.99. I don't know why they do the £114.99. Why the 99 pence is there, I don't know. Yeah. Because it, I mean, I, I, do, I do believe though, that, you know, this is this is a conversation that's always had. You know, I mean, I remember having a, you know, the similar conversation for Italian Nines when I wanted the shirt. My parents kind of, I mean, here we're getting into a conversation. My parents talking about how expensive the 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 the, 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 the official kit was at the time. So I think there's all there's always that element to this, isn't there? There's there's always going to be uh, profits going to be made at this point that always we, seem kind of you always over, knew over, over the top. Um, you, know. you always knew there's a kid in your class who had, and in my generation it was the same generation as you. There was the kid who had the Lazio jersey because of Gaza. There was a kid who yeah. had an inter, you know, there was there was a friend of mine who had like six jerseys, and there's me with my old, you know, crown paints <laughs> Liverpool jersey, yeah, yeah. you know, well, that be, lasted five years. Yeah, well, to be fair, what, what a classic <laughs> kit that was. I mean, that was, oh, that was, that was one of the great kits, the crown paints. Oh man, it, yeah. but that's the thing. You're right. It always was a difficult thing. Buying a football yeah. jersey was a big spend. And still is. 
But when you're getting to that point where it's £54 and then the socks, and get this, the so shorts are 42 quid for a pair of shorts and £14 <laughs> per pair of socks. But here's my point. Here, here's, here's the kicker. They're made in Thailand. And we're about to go, oh, it's terrible what they're doing in Qatar, yeah. you know, slave labor. And I think there's a definite, there's a definite bit of geography and sociology lessons and psychology and all. There's and a couple of lessons in there. Business, business studies yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, and I know that the company, I can't mention them. I'm not going to mention the company, but the company that makes has featured a lot in my old geography, um, you know, case studies for, I'm not saying exploitation, but it's a system that we have in the world where, you know, things are made in one place for other people. And I think that was a point that he was trying to make is, you know, we're all all those companies that are criticizing are actually benefiting from the World Cup. And here we are in a cost in living crisis where people would love to support their football team. And that's the other aspect, you know, people would want to, you know, you take about kids being off school. And we saw during the pandemic, you know, this is how it links to education, you know, that we shouldn't be having days off. You know, attendance is important and it is important we have the kids in school. And I think, you know, if schools are going to say, look, you know, the kids are having a couple of hours for an England match, that it isn't just we're taking the half a day off. Because for me, that undermines the value of education. It should be phrased, this is an important thing, we're supporting the country. And, and we did something like that a couple of years ago, 2018, where we had the kids making an England flag. They went out and we got drawn. It was brilliant. And again, this is coming from an Irishman. I'm quite humble about it. And I stood up above and took photographs of above, looking down, and with all the kids wearing either white or red, and enough, we, we worked out the proportions and we had to make an England flag where they, they, they waved in England. So you had a moving England flag made up of like four to five hundred children. Um, and it was it was great fun. And that made that made that made the regional, I think it might have made the national media. Um, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, memory maker, you know, what did you do for Euro 2008? They, that, that, that memory will live on. And you think to yourself, that was community, that's identity, that's part of a cultural capital, that people should be, that's inclusivity. You have people from, not even from England there, you have people from all around the world who've come into our school, who are then in taking part in that. And I, and I had to look at that and thought, that's community, that's it. That's what I remember as a kid. But I just don't see that feeling at the moment isn't there, is it? No, 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 I suppose not. But again, these things are sometimes slow burners once everyone's, once everyone's kind of got into the first game, maybe the the first having this England game so early on is 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 a big is a big one. Um, going back to going back to this thing about watching this Italian ninety documentary though, I just had no idea. I mean, I know I knew I knew England played Ireland, and I obviously knew the Cameroon game and the West Germany game. I just had no idea they played Egypt. Oh yeah, well, it was we 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 all played Egypt. We all bored drawed against Egypt. Um, yeah, Ireland I think it's probably it. why it was just so uneventful it, compared, it to, was. compared to the other games. Oh, well, England, England, Ireland. We should have won actually. The Irish uh, Lineker doing his poaching thing again. Um, but and then they, you know, it's things like I, that was that was probably in '94 for us as well because we Ray Houghton in Italy. Uh, sorry, in, in in New York scoring against the Italians. You had the oh, Irish yeah, yeah, and yeah, the Italians. Yeah, yeah. In New York, I mean, come yeah. on! You can't, sometimes yeah. it throws these things up football like that, and that's where it makes these stories, these narratives. And yes, one of those longest running is obviously England Germany, but you've got so many others. Holland and Germany. Whoa! Yeah. Remember Rudy Voller? I think the criticism of the Irish team in '94. By the time they got to '94, the heat. <laughs> well, it wasn't that. It's the um, the Irishness. <laughs> well, they, they, what they call the the the, the, the football association of Ireland was called find oh, another right. find <laughs> another Irishman yeah, I mean yeah, the but... documentary and Jack Charlton and I know you oh, probably watched it I, I I cried I am not ashamed to admit that that man and it's something that people didn't realize is that Jack Charlton an English man going over to Ireland he actually reclaimed the the Irish flag um he reclaimed it from and I, this is I think there's a definite connection with this say with England as well of of the nationalism versus patriotism Jack Charlton made it okay to fly an Ireland flag without people thinking that you were supporting Republicans, for instance. And that's that's a point that people don't understand, the cultural point, in the same way that I saw in 2018, people were happy to fly an England flag and not have that look of, and that's, that's I think that's an important thing to teach the next generation. You can be supportive of your country without the kind of, oh, hoo-ah, you know, we, won, we, we get one over. And, and that's... Unfortunately, and it's not just that doesn't just happen in England. That happens if you go to Italy, that goes to Germany. Those bigger nations sometimes they aren't as inclusive, or they aren't as what's the word for it? They they, they go there with that mentality. That and, and I think there's definitely something that has changed. Possibly, I think Gareth Southgate. I think you're right. Had changed in 2018. 
it's just I'm sort of just a bit disappointed that like I kind of want that vibe back again. And this is coming from somebody who's not an England supporter. It'd be interesting to see the car, the, the the difference maybe in Wales. Could you imagine? Would we have this conversation now about Wales getting to their first World Cup and how the Welsh and, and there's a really good message there that came up in our in our comments there about it's the quality of the players. That's a fair point. You mean Wales is a small country and it's produced a really good crop of quality players. You sometimes right. get that with some countries like Croatia, Denmark. They're small countries, but sometimes they have a team who've been a team for years and they're brilliant. Romania was like that in the nineties, Bulgaria was like that in the nineties. They just have a crop of players. Belgium, they've got their golden era coming through. But imagine being in those countries and saying to the kids in those countries, you know, when they get to a World Cup for the first time in 60 odd years, by the way, and I don't think it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I don't think that this discussion would happen in Wales. I think the whole of Wales would be closing down by the first game. And if, if that happened, would you agree or what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think definitely. And, uh, you know, to, to keep this kind of coming back to teaching as well, you know, during the week, um, it'd be great if people can, um, you know, share their um lessons or share their assemblies or share their messages they've had with uh, students during the world cup and be interesting to hear the kind of students perspective on this as well uh, you know especially if you're from some of those kind of smaller countries and how much it means to you uh, how much does this kind of transcend all all the other things uh, when a small country like wales uh, you know gets to a world cup and how important that is for their whole national and cultural identity uh, going forward and you know it's, it's going to give those countries like a massive boost you know in terms of their own um, confidence their own ego you know uh, as, as, as these small nations uh, go, go going forward well, well I, I, I can't help it but I'm the underdog and I, I just so want Wales to win so I'm, I'm really I'm really pleased the last time England played Wales we were in school and I was, and everybody was having a go at me, going, why aren't you supporting England? Why aren't you supporting England? I'm, going, I'm supporting Wales. I'm supporting the underdog. But you live in England. You don't live in Wales. And they don't understand my mentality. I want to see the small nation do well. Croatia in the last World Cup, you just, there's always that one or two teams. You know, Cameroon, you said in 1990 with Roger Miller. Oh, my word. There's always, and, and there's always that story of the underdog, and you find out, who these people are, where they've come from, or they might be, for instance, an asylum seeker. They've had to, you know, and I love that sometimes when you delve into these players. It's a shame he's not at the World Cup, Sadio Mane, how much he gives yeah. back to his community, how much money. And you, you get to the real crop. And even you see classy touches from people like, I have to say, this crop of England players are a lot classier and a lot more professional in the previous generation. And I think they're, and going back to the education and kids, I think they're a better role models. I like what I see with and, and, and the England women. I tell you what, for a player, the England women were absolutely fantastic. And the way they handled the whole tournament, the expectations, uh, and it was interesting how they then said to the, the, the men, like, boys, we've shown you how to do it. And I think so. sport has got that ability, doesn't it? It has that ability to leave a lasting impression and, and to change outcomes and, and to literally, and hopefully for the Welsh, they have their version of my 1990 and they get to the quarterfinals. And that can that could be a, a motivational boost, and and I suppose I'm gonna say it. I think the country needs something like this because everything is so depressing. And I think yeah. the kids, I think the kids could really too, with an uplifting experience and even a good run of possibly England do, doing well because just everything's so negative. You can imagine being the young people at the moment just filtering off. And for me, I can say that that 1990 thing when, when you, you you know growing up where I grew up and. The, the problems we had to deal with it was an absolute rescuing factor yeah, yeah. because there was hope of you, you could actually do stuff it, it really did psychologically change um there's really good books and movies about the snapper or um one of roddy doyle's uh, the van isn't it and you, you get the the, the colin meany character in the background and it's it's just literally nailed what it was like even the, even the music i can listen now to 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 uh, give it a last jack and and ole 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 and we used to play we used to play that song and the radio every hour and i had that on tape it was worn out and literally there was that i don't know what it's very hard to describe but there was something about it just uplifted the whole society and i think i hope for a good world cup i i hope that it's going to be good for our kids and i just hope you always pray there's going to be no trouble no rioting no silliness no stupidness because you do see that other side of it, and it goes back to this lad culture of we want to get away from that and, and, and i just hope we don't see that type of as england do well we hope that they don't. I mean, I was here in 2002 when, when Ireland lost out 
to Spain and I was uh, I was in an Irish bar in Nottingham and we lost in penalties. Never forget, you know, Ian Hart missed a penalty. We went out that night and celebrated. Everybody we met went, we just got knocked out of the World Cup. We're like, ah, well, you know, we're doing all right to be there. We had a bit of fun. That's because I literally, people think we're weird because we just enjoyed ourselves. We were there for the fun of it. And it's got to be that mentality, isn't it? You just, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be passed down to the children that be proud of your country, enjoy it. But, yeah. you know, it's got to be done in the right way. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. How do you bring it into schools? I think that's where yeah, teachers come in. Yeah, skillfully. That's our, that's our job, isn't it? I mean, the, the job is to kind of have that kind of, as the, to- as the tournament starts, is to start kind of, you know, focusing lessons on these things and, and making them kind of talking points you know and i always think kind of you know people talk about the lessons but what about the corridor conversations what about the playground duty conversations there's so much to be had all the time with this isn't there the world um, cup yeah, sweepstake I, who have you got oh oh <laughs> well, what, 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 i missed the i missed the work one um so i'm kind of i'm kind of out of the loop there we did one as a family and i think my my big team was france we had, we, had a, we had a couple. We had a we had a couple, um, but I do think um, I do think it's Argentina or Brazil probably. And that's the odds. Guess yeah. who I got? And I didn't get England. I got England last time. I've got the USA. So oh, okay. so yeah, I'm gonna. USA, I'm gonna USA, USA are not bad. I don't think. Yeah, they're in England's group. So I've got the USA yeah. in England's group, and I'm I'm going to be supporting Wales in England's group. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to be. No wonder I'm outside planting trees. Yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping a low profile because yeah, you can imagine the amount of grief I'm going to get. I was like. And we've got we've got flags, and again, this is lovely. But staff room, we've got one of the guys that did the sweepstake and fair play to him. And he made a big thing out of the draw. And again, it was just a nice thing to do. And he put like a little, uh, he did the Euro two thousand and eight, and he always had like a, a smart comment that came with it. And it was just uplifting. It was good fun. It was good banter. It just lifted the staff room, and and, and it got people talking about what have you got, and it started conversations. And I think it was just a positive vibe. Just changes a cha- almost like a you know they say a change is as good as a holiday and a bit of a break. So hopefully that's maybe what this this is this this World Cup can be a little bit of a, a break for people because it has been a couple of years of being really tough, and then the economic stuff now. So it, so hopefully there's a good World Cup and hopefully you know if England go well we can start to talk about the football, talk about the tournament, see good examples, role models, and there's always good stories that come out like the Roger Millers or the the un, the unsung heroes. And you get that narrative, and that that maybe might do for this generation what those World Cups that we remember did for our generation. Um, and that's what you kind of hope for, isn't it? it? It it passes on the positive side of it because I don't remember anything negative about some of those World Cups uh, because you you, you want to remember the the, the 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 experience, but the shared experience um, of sitting down with friends and similar age and going like, How, where were you in this one? And as I say, I can remember this day when that penalty was you know, scored by David O'Leary. David O'Leary, of all people, scores a penalty. And the absolute euphoric feeling I had, as you know, as a, what age would I be, 12, of jumping up and down in the living room, you know. And I, it's, it's just was one of the, one of the, and running out of the street, there were people dancing in the street like absolute lunatics. And you think, it's just, you can't, you can't recreate that, can you? That, there's something about that that could be really magical for for the young people. So I think we have to make sure that we make that a little bit special for them in schools. And, and, and our schools, I do remember our schools are making a big thing about it as well. So there is, there is I think, an onus on us to, to, I think, embrace it. And I know there are some that would go, it's in Qatar. And, and I'm not going to say they're wrong. I get where they're coming from about the LGBT and everything else. But I'm a big fan of embracing it and you change things from within. And I think the positivity wins out against the negativity. If you, if you simply say we're not going there because they have this record on things, then it's like we wouldn't be playing Iran at the moment. You know, we have a case to say we shouldn't be playing Iran with what's going on around. But I think playing around in the football, you then draw attention to what's happening in Iran. And that starts that conversation in the classroom. You say, who are you playing against Iran? Well, actually, what Iran's doing against those those young students is, is wrong and it starts that it starts those conversations whereas if, imagine they were boycotted and iran weren't there then you wouldn't have that conversation so i think there is there is a possibility there of of using that but it is up to us as skillful educators to try and find ways in isn't it yeah that's right yeah definitely absolutely i, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that and it's just about uh, 
you know, thinking about, you know, as your lessons come up this week, I know I will definitely, you know, I've got some lessons coming up on international business. Um, you know, how can we bring that in? You know, that kind of loads of literacy to be had around, you know, the World Cup as it kind of comes up as well. Loads of numeracy as well. Think about kind of, you know, league tables and scoring and everything geography. else. There's loads of, oh yeah, geography, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that subject. <laughs> All right, <There's>, okay. <laughs> there's um, yeah, there's loads. There's, there's definitely loads. There's definitely loads to pull out of the of, of a tournament like this. And you know, um, we haven't mentioned kind of religious studies as well, have we? Or philosophy and ethics and those types of things as well. Could be mm. some really interesting kind of things to to come out of that. Come out of there. Do you Which think is... then that there was? Do you think there'd be been fair to Qatar? Do you think that there's been just, or is it just a sign of the times that no matter what they put, it's like Robbie Williams has decided who's going to play there and, and others have said no. Is it a sign of the times now that it doesn't matter if they, as some some say, it doesn't matter where you put it in the world, there's always going to be controversy. You put like the Olympics, I remember I went to the Olympics in 2000 and I worked at the Olympics. There's a massive thing about the, you know, the, the Aboriginal generation and there was huge moment when one of the Aboriginal runners and, and she won the 400 metres. And it was in, I was in the stadium at the time Again, it's funny how these things just so stand out. And and she, when she when she went across the line, she she didn't jump up and celebrate. She just broke down completely. It was such an emotional moment, really was. But then you know there was the, the, they addressed that at that Olympics. They actually went to the point where they said, "This is our Olympics to readdress this. This this is what we're going to talk about. This is how we're going to make up for all." There was a definite forgiveness there for how sport could be used for that. And and that's the difference that. Trying to say with likes of Qatar, I don't see them transforming. Same as Beijing, it's not as if in Beijing when they had the Olympics in two thousand and eight, this transformed you know Brazilian society. Whereas I think South Africa, there was a definite coming together in two thousand and ten. So it does work some places. It doesn't work all this like the, the Olympics in in, in England uh, in in two thousand and and twelve were absolutely exceptional, weren't they? They brought the world together. Credit where credit's due. They were fantastic Olympic Games, weren't they? So I think sometimes it has the ability to heal sport and move societies on. And other times, I think it's a wasted, wasted opportunity, isn't it? Well, I, th- I think there will be there will be waste. I mean, I, th- I don't think you can ever you ever do this kind of legacy type um, games or World Cup that they've they've often kind of talked about. Um, although it would be it would be nice. I, th- I think that now these are just they're just so expensive, aren't they? And so they're so. They're so kind of you know expensive to put on that it's very difficult to get that uh, legacy that they all dream of. Um, but we can, where, where we can bring legacy in is is through the classroom, I think, and you know uh, and having these conversations now, which will stay with the generation kind of going forward. Um, Brilliant. But I, but I don't think and I don't think it's necessarily the 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 individual place that that's that's the problem. You know, as you said, you can criticise any country for anything all the time, can't you? Yeah, um, but it's just it's just about kind of you know while while it's I mean it'd be interesting to know, you know, the pe- I'm I'm looking for the people like uh, Gary Neville. He'd be an interesting person to follow during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be? Is he going to carry on? You know, bringing these issues up. You know, I wouldn't expect someone like David Beckham to, but if he could do, uh, that would be great. Uh, again, Robbie Williams, David Beckham. You kind of expect them to. They're outspoken, aren't they? They're they're they've got their own minds. Those those two. They, they, they do, yeah. but 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 someone like um, Gary Neville would be really interesting. I mean, there will be people around the fringes who haven't got the the, the big big fame mm. um, to kind of just make that point. And um, I'm sure kind of comments will be made. You know, as you said, the the particular England team is, you know, they they are quite mature. They are quite well educated uh, lads. Mm. And I think they, and, and Gareth Southgate will as well. He'll do it very subtly, I think. It won't be kind of obvious. Yeah. But I think there will be the comments, there will be the nods uh, to something kind of not working well, or maybe they'll go out and do a visit to something or highlight a particular issue at certain times. That's not so in your face. No. Uh, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be subtle. It'll be. It'll the be armbands, for instance. It'll it might, be, they yeah. might wear the LGBT plus armband. It's yeah, little things. Well little, thought through. It'll little be, gestures, yeah. Yeah, you know, all all these guys have very well uh, targeted, um, scripted social media accounts that are run by professionals. You know that there there will be ways to to make these comments and highlight some of the key issues that our kids can pick up on as the yeah. world goes on, and that will keep the kind of conversation going. So, 
I don't think there will be a... Well, I think as the tournament goes on, I think the Qatarians will realise they can't lock down as much as they are thinking they're going to lock down. No, well, you can't control everything. You can't control yeah, people, can you? Control. Yeah, because it's a World Cup. It's going to be so... Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what the figures are. I mean, then the, the hundreds of millions, aren't they? People that yeah. watch and, and 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 connect with the World Cup, in, including kind of, you know, our children. And they they you know when they talk about stuff on social media, they talk about it in in floods, don't they? They they don't just mention it once. It's kind no. of multi. It's it's omnilinked, isn't it, all the time to different media accounts and that type of thing. So yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. So what we'll do now is uh, we have a good sponsor called Witherslack Group and they're a leading provider of specialist education and care. They need people like you to help them achieve even more. So at Witherslack, you've been given some resources and support you need and offered a career path to career progression and rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. They're currently looking for some fantastic career opportunities. You'll find them on www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. Also, we have a couple of, of um, new presenters um, who are obviously uh, doing what Adam and I have done and joined the team of Teachers Talk Radio, um, which is a bit like the board in Star Trek. If you will be assimilated, you will come and join the collective and you will add to the rest of us. And, and we are, in essence, a, you know, a bunch of, of uh, volunteers who are teachers of all different uh, places and, and actually overseas, UK, of teaching age ranges and different experience levels. So it's a really diverse, fantastic team. We've got uh, Poppy and Steve, Reem and Ollie all joining us. And I think Reem had our first show last night, which looked like a really tasty show about politics, which I sadly missed. But if I missed it, I am going to find it and get it caught back on. Uh, pod spaces and creator spaces and where you get your podcasts and equally you'll be able to listen back to this uh, on all those places as well and we'll have edited out our little bit of a f- problems to begin with so a couple of other things coming up we have the sunday twilight show with Maud at five and the, the sunday late show with tom starkey at eight and a really good show coming up tomorrow night with Tom himself. Uh, he's going to be looking at uh, the future of Oak Academy. And he's got some big hitting guests there, like Dr. Mary Boosted, for instance, from uh, NEU. So that looks like being a really good um, good show and something very, very relevant to a lot of us, especially as we went through uh, the, the COVID crisis. Uh, Lucy and Tuesday is going to pick up on the Long Eaton, uh, sorry, the Eaton Kids. Um, and the lively debate will be on that, on the public and private education of what's happened there. So tune in and talk it out with us at Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for your, your help today, uh, Tom, and thank you to Adam Spence. And it has been the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Brent Poland. Join me again next week where hopefully things will run according to plan. And by that stage, we'll know more about the World Cup. <laughs> thank you, guys. Okay, thanks for listening.